0: careful how we read God's word and punctuation and grammar are really important because the apostle Paul is not saying it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. There are speech marks there. There are speech marks around it and that's what they wrote to Paul about. they had a question. They had a question, and the first, there had many questions, we're going to go over quite a few of them as we go through this, but this first question that they had, or it's the first one that Paul wants to address, and I think he was addressing it off the back of what we were hearing last week about sexual purity and, and glorifying God in our bodies. And he comes into this one, and he brings up the statement that they had. And there's a statement. Is it good for a man not to have Oh, sorry, it's not It's a not question, it's a statement. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so my first heading, you're going to remember this one, I'm sure. No sex, please. Now context is everything. And we have to look at the context of what is going on here. And Paul has been addressing these Corinthians with a great concern he had for them. And he had this great concern for their sexual purity. And there were things happening within the church that should not have been happening. And there were sexual activities going on that should not have been happening. And Paul was concerned about it, and he he explained that to him, and and he actually written a letter to them previously. And in this earlier letter, and we can read about this in chapter 5 and verse 9, it said, I wrote with you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So in this letter, Paul has addressed it as a concern. And in a previous letter, he addressed it, and it was a concern. And he told them then, do not associate with sexually immoral people. We don't know what else he said, because we don't have that letter. It's not part of the scriptures. But he said that. He said, do not associate with sexually immoral people. And some people had taken that teaching, and some people had taken that, and whatever else was said. And they came up with this statement. And they said, ha, huh, this is it. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And, and they'd obviously thought, the people in Corinth They'd thought about it. And the only way of overcoming sexual immorality was not to have sex. Now, in part, that is right. But in part, it was very, very wrong because they included those that were married. And so they were advocating that within a marriage relationship, the husband and the wife should stop having sexual relations. And so this would be very divisive and very problematic. And you can imagine if you were a happily married couple and your husband and your wife came home and said, I've been hearing this preaching, we shouldn't have sex again. That would cause a problem in a marriage, I'm sure. At a very basic level. But Paul was concerned about it on other levels as well. And maybe after last week's teaching, when we heard so clearly from God's word... About the, the the danger of sin of sexual immorality, the danger of sexual sins being sin against your own body, sin against your body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you thought, How can I keep myself from being sexually immoral? And this is a question that all you young people should be asking. You should be asking this how can I keep myself from sexual immorality? I hope you are asking that. I hope you're just not giving in to your urges. The temptation is everywhere. The world is full of it. And as we heard last week, it's serious. It's a serious sin. Because it's a sin against your body. And your body, as a believer, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ died on the cross for you. And there's huge implications. And so, one of the gifts that God has given us to help us in this area is marriage. See, Paul goes on and says to them, look, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, this is verse 2, each man should have his own wife and each Woman, her own husband. Now, when you are single, you should flee from sexual immorality. We heard that last week. You should run from it. You shouldn't entertain it in your mind. You shouldn't play with it. You shouldn't think about it. You should do what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife went to grab him. He ran out. And just as some people run from dogs here because they're afraid of them, we should run from sexual temptation get away from it but within the context of that friends god has given us something and he's given us a gift and this gift is marriage and this marriage has been is made for provision for many things but one of those things is for sexual desires sexual desires are not wrong sexual desires are not sinful Sexual desires are something that God gave us as human beings when He made us in the beginning, but sexual immorality is wrong. And some people can say, "Well, God got it." Oh, no, God got it absolutely right because God gave us marriage, and marriage is the place where sex is to be enjoyed. Marriage is the place where sex is to be had. Jesus is teaching on the subject. Put it like this: He's talking to his disciples and. And he takes the disciples right back to the beginning. In Matthew chapter 19, he answered, Have you not read, He who made them from the beginning made them male and female. Friends, remember this. He made them male and female. Gender is something that God gives, not what we decide in our own minds. God made us male or female. And and, and in that, when he made male and female, he said, this is right at the very beginning. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. How did he get made? He got made out of a loving relationships, uh, a sexual intercourse. The baby was born and the child was brought up in the family and the child should leave. Leave his mother and father and he shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Very sensitively said, but it's very explicit. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. See, marriage is good. Marriage is something that God has given. And He gave it before the fall. Marriage was something that happened before sin entered into the world. God made male and female. He made them to become together as a husband and wife. He came them to come together as a husband and wife for their whole lives. He made them to get married and they shouldn't be separated. And within the context of their marriage and being together, he made them not only able to have sex, but to enjoy sex and to have a union that draws them closer to each other. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews 13 and 14. He said, let marriage be held in honor among all. And then sex comes in. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. If you have sexual desires and you're not married, which is most of you here, if you have sexual desires and you're not married... A way to overcome sexual immorality is not just to say no, but to get married. That's what this passage is saying. Sexual desires are real. You feel them. You know them. You do, because you're human, and God made you that way. And the right place for those Desires to be expressed and enjoyed is in marriage. One man, one woman, together for life. And putting off marriage is putting yourself at risk of sexual immorality. You're putting marriage off. And pushing it away is putting it off. And you're more likely... To struggle with lust, to struggle with pornography, to struggle with fornication, to struggle with wrong sexual desires, to get caught up in masturbation. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, Jesus was talking to disciples. He said, look, if any one of you looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's already committed adultery in his heart. It's the same the other way around. If any of you ladies look at a man with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiancé, the longer you stay unmarried, the more likelihood you are of sinning sexually. It's as simple as that, and that's the warning that's here, and that's the warning that he was giving to these people. You can't just say no sex because we're hardwired for it, to enjoy it, we want it. But the only place for it is within marriage. And if you have it outside of marriage, you are sinning against God, and it's lust, and it's pornography, and it's fornication, and it's wrong, and it's and it's evil. And it's a sin against your body, and it's a sin against your body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we have to take this seriously. And so Paul moves on as he's speaking to these Corinthians with our second point Good sex, please. Good sex, please. The the, the world is obsessed about having sex. The world is obsessed about good sex. You see that the magazines around, and and they're all talking, the Men's Health, the Ladies' Magazines, they're all talking about how to have good sex. And, And your internet streams, if you're not careful, will become filled up with this idea of how you can have good sex. Well, God's Word is going to tell us. You don't need these worldly magazines to tell you what God has told us. And we've got it here, and it's a guide for us. You see, good sex can only be had in the context of a married couple. Yeah? People might say, who are outside of that, I had great sex. They didn't. They had a great experience. They maybe had great pleasure, but they did not have good sex. Because good sex can only be had in the context of a marriage. Because that's how God made it to be. And any sexual activity outside of marriage is immoral. And it's sinful. And when I say any sexual activity, that is pornography. That is uh, physically having a relationship with anyone outside of marriage. Now it's often said that marriage works best when it's a 50-50 give and take relationship. You probably heard that. And you probably heard some cynical man saying, I give and she takes. Or the other way around, yeah? But, but there's this idea that, that, that a marriage relationship is a team. You need to be a team, and you need to work together, and it's a 50-50, and, 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 and just give and take and compromise, and, and, and you work it out, and you work together. And, and there's a lot of good advice there. But when it comes to sexual relations in a marriage, it is not 50-50 give and take. It's not. Th- this passage tells us differently. It is a 100% give. The husband is to give himself 100% to his wife. His objective shouldn't be about himself. It should be about her. And caring for her and loving her and pleasing her. A hundred percent. That's what it says. The second part of this verse says that likewise the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Gentlemen that are married, we've failed. But that's the standard. And you see, I, I did it that way around because the passage actually talks about it the other way around. It says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body. And I didn't want to say that first because that might have made a whole lot of you switch off and a whole lot of you go, hurrah! But it's not. It's equal. It, 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 the lady, the wife, her role within this is to give 100% of herself to her husband. But it works in the context of the husband giving 100% of himself to her. It's not a 50-50 give and take. I'll do this and get that. No. You see, today's culture is a culture of selfish sex. And it's all about seeking our own pleasure. How I can have the best this or the best that. How I can perform and how I can enjoy it and how it's. You see, selfish sex, the attitude of selfish sex fuels sexual immorality. Good sex is between a husband and wife, and good sex is not selfish. If it's selfish, if one of the other partners is selfish, it goes wrong. It goes badly wrong. Good sex is not what can I get out of it, but what can I give to my marriage partner? What am I, what am I giving for them? Because the standard here, as we see in the scripture, is everything. It's interesting that that language around the word authority is, is the language of a debt, the language of owing. The husband owes himself to his wife. The wife owes herself to the husband. And you, married friends, practice that, and it'll turn your sex life round, upside down, because it's God's way. Now, if we get into these situations, because what happens sometimes is is one partner with, will will hold sex and affection from the other partner to punish them. Maybe the wife isn't getting enough money that she wants, and so she punishes the man, or maybe the man's not getting the attention he wants, and. That's not biblical. That's absolutely wrong. And and neither partner should be using sex as a currency to get what they want. That effectively is prostitution within a marriage. It's not as God wanted it. It's not as God intended it. Marriage is beautiful. Sex is special. And it's there for husbands and wives to be drawn closer and closer together. I was told just this last week that within African culture these verses are not preached on. We hide these verses away. They don't come out very often these verses, they don't. Because men like to dominate and men like to dominate in the bed and it's wrong and it's sinful. And there's a wrong application of a wife being submissive. And you see there is a righteous submission of respect that a wife should show. But it's in the context of 1 Peter where it says likewise in chapter 3 verse 7 likewise husbands live with your wives and understand showing honour to the woman as a weaker vessel. You see when it comes to the bedroom it's not a matter of one submitting over the other. It's a matter of both of them giving themselves completely. And, And you see Peter When he wrote that letter, he he also said that you need to do this. Wives, you need to respect and submit, and husbands, you need to live with your wives in understanding and showing honor. Why? Because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. In the marriage situation, your sex life and intimacy can impact on your spiritual life and your prayer life. I wonder how many Christian marriages have got problems spiritually because they're not giving themselves as Christ intended them to in their marriage. If a man is not treating his wife sensitively, if the lady is not respecting her husband righteously, then the prayers could well be hindered. And you see, the reality with this is that there's a greater chance of of sexual immorality within a marriage setting if sex and intimacy are not mutually enjoyed. The seriousness... Because maybe you singles think, if I get married, then all my sexual temptations will be over. It'll be fine. I'm married. I can have a no. That they just begin. There's another set of temptations that are there, and if, if within the marriage setting, sex and intimacy are not mutually enjoyed, there can be real temptations. This can happen as as the result of both of them not having sex. And if they're not having sex, then there's temptation to get it elsewhere. Or maybe one of them has been satisfied and the other's not. And if the partner is only thinking of themselves, there will be no mutual satisfaction. And if there's no mutual satisfaction, this could mean that the, the partner, the other partner who's, who's not been satisfied is tempted to have lustful fantasies, tempted to go to solace from pornography or masturbation or adultery or, or somewhere else. And if the partner doesn't give the other the sexual Im- intimacy that they need and the sexual intimacy that God has made them for, they may well find that somewhere else. It's their sin, of course. But the temptation can happen because of what's gone before. And in this sexualized world, the temptation is everywhere. Just like in Corinth, there was temple prostitutes, as we were hearing last week, everywhere. Now we're living in a day and age where there is sex at a click of a phone. There's a hookup culture, which means that casual sex can be enjoyed, and there is huge temptations. And friends, if you're married... You want to chase after this good sex. And if you're not married, wait till you are to enjoy it. And three, I didn't ever think I would write a sermon heading like this. Regular sex, please. Regular sex, please. Verse five, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what's happening here? Paul is saying to these married couples, don't deprive yourselves. Enjoy your sexual intimacy with one another. But there's a time when you might want to not have sex. Now obviously there's times when health Mean that you can't. There's times when uh, children being there and, and, and pregnancy and, and other occasions you may be sensitive, but the one that he was talking about here was prayer. He said that it might be appropriate for you for, for a limited period of time, by agreement between the both of you, that you devote yourselves to prayer, and then through that time you are not having sexual intimacy. Gives you that time to be able to pray, concentrate, think about what you're doing. But he says only for a limited time. I'm very thankful that that limited time is for husbands and wives to work out. It doesn't say whether it's one day, one week, one month, but it's limited and it's short. And the reason is because of lack of self-control. You see, Paul knew that these married couples... If they stopped having sexual intimacy together as a couple for an extended period of time, there will be temptations that come upon them that will be very real. Now, a temptation is not a sin, but acting on that temptation is. And it's better not to be tempted in the first place. That's what fleeing from sin is. Fleeing from sin is running away from it before it even becomes a temptation. Don't put yourself in temptation's way. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthians, yes, you might want to have a time of prayer together, a time to devote yourself in praying, but don't do it for too long because the temptation will come and the temptation is too great and what will happen? Don't let yourself get into that situation. And it's because of a lack of self-control. We all know, I'm trying to use this analogy. I want to think of two cars a Porsche racing car, very, very fast. Yeah? And then we will just have our average, let's have a Ford Fiesta. Yeah? So Ford Fiesta and a Porsche 911, really fast. We'll take the engine out of the Porsche 911 and put it into the Fiesta. The Fiesta will go extremely fast because it's got that engine. What happens when it needs to stop? It won't. It hasn't got the braking power. And sexual urges are like that of a Porsche 911's engine. Thrusting, moving. Moving. And You may have some self-control to put the brakes on, but not the brakes that will stop that. And so Paul is saying to his Corinthians, get out of temptations way before it happens. Don't let it come upon you. And then for a lot of us here, we're not married. And so we might be thinking this really isn't for us. But let's just, let's just go with this a little further because there is a very, very practical application here. And this application is totally counterculture. And it's one of the things that I'm actually fearful of saying. But I've got to say it because God's word is saying it. You see, Paul told the Corinthians in a marriage situation, they could abstain for sex for spiritual reasons to pray. That's the reason. Spiritual reasons to pray. And then he goes on to say it's for a short time. It is. A short time. Now married couples who are not physically living in the same place, then there'll be no physical intimacy, will there? You can't have physical relationships if you're living in one city and your wife or husband is living in another city. It can't happen. And so you are separated. And this passage has to be applied into that situation. And it's serious. You see, it's not advisable for married couples to spend long times away from each other because temptation is real. And self-control is limited. And if education or employment or business or any other reason, cu- keeping couples apart for more than a short period of time, temptation and potentially sin are a real concern. And, and last week, we were told to flee from sexual temptation and not to plan for it. And if you're thinking of, of getting married and then living apart for a long period of time, you are planning For sexual temptation. It's as simple as that. And potentially you are setting yourself up to fail in that way. Now friends, I want to be very, very careful. And I want to emphasize this. I am not accusing anyone here of sinning in this way. But as an eldership, when we meet together to pray, and when we pray by ourselves we especially pray for the brothers and sisters on this island who are here without their spouses. And we especially pray for them because we know that this temptation is great and it's real. And not only do we pray for them in regard to their temptation, but we pray that they would successfully complete their education and go home and be with their family. It's not because we don't love them here. We love having you here. Absolutely. But if your spouse isn't here, we love it more for you to get back there. And I'm sure that people could say, Pastor James, you just don't understand the situation in Africa. You don't understand the situation in Nigeria. You don't understand it. And you're absolutely right, I don't. But God does. And God is saying this. This is not me standing up here making something up. This is God, your Heavenly Father, warning us. And that's how serious it is. And that's why I have to say it. It would be much better for me to go on to some other passage. Well, the gifts are going to be interesting as well, but there we are. (laughs) So if you find yourself in this situation, friends, be real about the temptation. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help your partner back home. Plead with God that he will keep you pure. And ask God to provide you a way wherewith you can be back together as soon as possible and to protect you and your family and your marriage and your relationship with God. And for those of you that are not in this situation, and maybe it's on your mind and on your plans and I know how these things work. I'm going to get married with this one here and then we're going to be living apart. And that's your plan. You're planning to put yourself in temptation's way. You're planning to put yourself in a situation that God never gave you the right to go in his revealed will here. And so you have to ask yourself this question. Is education, is economic gain worth more than sexual purity? On the day of judgment you say, oh, we don't understand God. It was because I needed a PhD. I don't think that's going to go down very well, is it? And is your education and and economic gain worth more than your marriage? Because that's what you'll be putting at risk. If you go down that route, you are putting your marriage at risk. Not just being estranged for that time, but what if something did happen? And is your education or economic gain worth more than your relationship with God? God is a gracious forgiving God and God forgave and restored David the adulterer and the murderer but you can see the difference between the Psalms he wrote before his adultery and after because it messed with his relationship with God it was restored, he's forgiven But there are scars that sexual sins leave like nothing else. And friend, if you sacrifice education or economic gain on God's altar, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. God is no man's debtor. God will reward you and your family in ways that you cannot imagine. It may not be a huge bank account. That's not God's economy or God's currency. But the reward will be great. And it will be well done, my good and faithful servant. And then lastly, our last point is sex on fire. Sex on fire from verses 6 to 9. Marriage is a gift from God but it's also hard work. And it comes with implications. A marriage is, not in the sexual bedroom, but marriage itself is 50-50. It's hard work. It's give and take. It's help and be helped. It's talk and listen. It's effort. It's extra responsibility. It's caring for somebody else. It's then possibly caring for a whole family as God blesses you. And it comes with implications. And Paul's recommendation is a recommendation of singleness. And he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish you were all as myself. It's in connection to his own single status. And Paul was looking around at the church at Corinth. Well, he wasn't looking around. The letter was there. And he has it there in black and white. And he says, look, I wish you were like me. I wish you all to be single as myself. Now, as you go on in this chapter, we're going to open that up more. But just for the moment, singleness comes with blessings and opportunities and responsibilities that are unique to that status. Single people can do things that married folk cannot do in the kingdom. Marriage comes with unique blessings and opportunities. With that status, they're just two different places to be. But Paul was saying then that actually singleness is is, is special. Singleness is is, is a gift. Singleness is, is good. And the Apostle Paul couldn't have done what he did if he was married. Because he was spending months and years away from home and ages in prison and a shipwreck and a beating, and it just wouldn't have been good for him to have a wife. Could you imagine? I sat at home, I wonder how my husband is, I wonder how my husband is, what's going on? It'd been awful. And God knew. And God knew what his job was and what his role was and who he would be. And God said you're single. But you see, with, with within this, for him to operate in this way for this particular advantage that he was uh, advocating for others, he said something very, very important. He said, each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. I have to say, this really makes me smile. Because at the beginning of Corinthians, it talks about Corinthians having gifts and everything could work together so we could enjoy our gifts. And a lot of people like the book of Corinthians because it talks about spiritual gifts. And the first gift it talks about is a gift of singleness. I haven't been at a prayer meeting yet where the youth are shouting, Give me singleness! Give me the gift of singleness! But it's a gift. It's a paraclete. It's not, that's not the word. It is a charisma. That's the original word, which is the exact same words for the other charismas that we have in, in this, in this letter. And so Paul was describing this charisma, this gift. And God was. Paul was able to control his lusts and overcome his sexual temptation because God had given him a gift to do that. And Paul saw the benefits of the gospel and in life in general. But only... This benefit only is works if the single person can exercise self-control. Because he goes on to say to the unmarried, verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Friends, singleness is good. And it's a status that can be given to you by God. And God will give you the gift to be able to do that without burning. God will do that. And marriage is a gift from God. And some of you, the majority of people it seems, that's the way God would have it. But no status should be looked down upon. And both statuses are a gift. And, and, and the gift is there. And, and the only way you should remain single and keep at it is if you have this gift from God to be able to do it. And God will enable you. See, it, it talks about burn with passion. Uh, do I need to explain that? I don't think I do because I think most of you will probably know what it's like to have passion and desires and temptation. And and if you are single and you want to have sex, if you are single and you keep on getting sexually tempted and it feels like it's too much for you, if you're single and you cannot keep yourself away from, 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 from going down that way, then you probably have not got the gift of singleness. And you should get married. I apologize to all your parents now. But you're hearing it. Marriage shouldn't be pushed away. Marriage in the world has been pushed away. But I'm just going to quote some statistics from Nigeria. The average Nigerian gentleman gets married at the age of 28 and a half. If you're from a middle class, educated situation, that goes up dramatically. Because within that average figure, there's a whole of kids at 16, 17 getting married in the north of Nigeria. Yeah, so you get it. So, so generally speaking, this demographic that I have in front of me here, you're not thinking until after 30 to get married. The average male reaches their sexual maturity at the age of 14. Gentlemen from Nigeria, your life expectancy statistically is age 60. So that means if you don't get married till you're 29, a quarter of your life you are burning with passion. A quarter of your life fighting sexual temptation. A quarter of it and if you push that on to not get married to 35, then it goes up to a third, a half of your life. And frankly, that is sheer foolishness. And I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to do it properly. Why put off marriage? Why put it off? Your culture may say that you you can only do it when you finish your education. When well, I'm a PhD. Well I'm a grandfather's age. Not a grandfather, because you won't be because you won't even be married, you won't even have your own children to be a grandfather. But you could be old enough to be a child's grandfather because well Oh, I need a car. And well, not just any car, the Mercedes, the, the big car. And I, I need a house. I need savings. I need an established career. Friend, is that what God requires? And ladies Where does it say in God's word that your husband to be must have this education, must have this car, this house, this savings? It says your husband to be should be sexually pure. It says that you should be sexually pure. And the reality is you friends are putting inordinate pressure upon yourselves. And the culture of the day, the culture of the day is putting massive pressure upon yourselves. And the culture of the day doesn't care because the culture of the day is sleeping around and they're getting sexual gratification, kind of, outside of marriage. And you can't and you shouldn't because that's sinning against Almighty God. And what is the answer? Get married. Let's have some marriages here at LPC. Let's see Tibetan MCing and us dancing with excitement because a couple are brought together in unity. Now, yes, there's a whole lot of caveats that has to go with. It has to be the right person and, and, and to enjoy sex isn't the only reason why you should be getting married. But this is something that is serious, friends. It's something that's real. Sex is to be enjoyed. And it's good in marriage in marriage alone. And if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It's a very interesting use of words there, isn't it? Burn with passion. Because where does the sexually immoral Unrepentant sexually immoral person end up? Where does the adulterer, the unrepentant adulterer end up? They end up burning for eternity because of that passion. And that's how serious it is. And so, friends, as we come to wrap this up, marriage is a gift from God and thank God for it, but it's not the greatest. Singleness is a gift from God, but it's not the greatest. Love, faith, and hope are gifts from God, but they are not the greatest. The greatest gift from God is His Son. God loved this world so much that He sent His only Son, and His only Son came to this world to free us from the slavery of sin, and that includes sexual sin. He died on the cross to release us from the burden of our own sins and to break the power of sin. And you could well be sitting here like me and thinking, I have failed. I'd imagine in this area of sexuality, everybody here probably has, given that just one lustful thought is the same as adultery. In God's eyes. And if you have failed. If you're feeling miserable about yourself now. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. He is the savior of the world. He died on the cross. And David's sins of adultery and murder have been forgiven. And your sins, whatever they are, can be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can come to him now if you've never come to him before. And you can call upon his name and you shall be saved. And maybe you are saved, but you're backslidden and you've sinned and you're sinning and it's a mess. And it's miserable. And the devil's laughing at you. You can turn around and say, my Savior died on the cross for me. And all that sin and failure was laid upon him and the price has been paid, and sin no longer holds me. And you can begin your recovery again in Jesus. And maybe you're thinking that it's impossible. Maybe you're thinking sexual purity is impossible. Maybe the thought of marriage is... Just to- Friends, think of this. God's gift of his Son, Jesus, is your hope. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know how the Corinthians felt after reading these verses. I know how I feel. and I know that some of you may want the opportunity to to pray with the pastors or the mummies. Some of you may want the opportunity to talk further. Some of you may have questions and and we would like to encourage that. And right after the service, after our prayer, the ushers will be handing out a little slip here. And then if you want to be prayed with, if you want to talk about this, if there's a particular issue with regard to this that you want to speak to one of the pastors or the mummies about,